Hey guys, it's Dawn. If you would like to hear the How My Parents Raised Me podcast ad-free, and if you would like access to subscriber-only episodes, join me in the What's the Truth community. You can join via the Apple Podcast app. There's a link right there in the app. Or go to whatsthetruth.supercast.com. Links are in the show notes. Don't miss out on all the extra content I'm sharing. I can't wait to see you over there. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Welcome to How My Parents Raised Me. I'm Dawn Chitty. When we are born, we arrive here as pure and perfect souls and the direction our life takes from that moment is deeply connected to what our parents bring to our lives. And what our parents bring to our lives is deeply connected to what their parents brought to their lives. And that's the cycle of families. I have always craved connection with real and raw stories to understand what makes you, you. What makes you the absolutely unique human that you are. Stories are medicine for the soul. They can connect us and they can change the world. And so in this podcast, I'm listening to beautiful souls sharing their story, what happened to them, how they got through and how they have healed and thrived despite everything to arrive right here in this moment. Content warning, if you are triggered by the themes of this podcast, please seek a helpline in your city. Hello, my beautiful friends. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for connecting with me. And don't forget, please reach out to me if you have a story to share. I came across Erin Falconer's book, How to Break Up with Your Friends, and I thought it would be so valuable to chat with Erin about our adult friendships the way we're raised by our parents and the trauma 
that we're exposed to and the way that our parents interacted within their own friendships has a profound impact on how we create and maintain friendships throughout our lives. As Erin says, friendships are not just a fun thing to have. They're critical to our overall health and well-being. And yet we're never given any real guidance around friendships. They're almost something we just kind of fall into and then sometimes those relationships turn out to be amazing and sometimes they can be really quite toxic. And often we don't even recognize the toxicity because we're so used to toxic environments. And then if we ever do stop and actually think about whether we still see value in a friendship, what are we going to do about it? How do we go about breaking up with a friend? It all seems so hard, doesn't it? And I guess most of us just think friendships will continue on forever. But I think for those of us who are on a healing journey, we do get to a point where we understand that certain friendships can't continue because they're abusive or toxic or no longer aligned with who we are. And so we do need to remove people from our lives and that's okay. In fact, it's a really good thing to do. There should be no shame in needing to let go of a friendship. It's like clearing out the old and allowing for the new and the new is the people who are more like you, more aligned with the you that you now find yourself to be because it's you realizing that you need to put you first. And having done this myself, I know it can be life-changing in an extremely positive way. Here's my chat with Erin Falconer. Erin, welcome to the podcast. It's so great to have you here. You are the author of a book called How to Break Up with Your Friends, Finding Meaning, Connection and Boundaries in Modern Friendships, which really caught my attention because it's such an important topic, but one we rarely discuss, especially I think for those of us who may have been on a journey in our lives, changing and evolving we can find ourselves in relationships with friends that are just not right for us and then just not serving us anymore. How did you come to write this book? First of all, thank you so much for having me on the show. I'm delighted to speak to your audience. I came to this title in a kind of roundabout way. I was looking for a follow-up to my first book, which is very rooted in the female empowerment space. That book is called How to Get Shit Done, Why Women Need to Stop Doing Everything So They Can Achieve Anything. And so that was very like in in looking at what female productivity could or should look like. And for, you know, six or seven months, I went down many different rabbit holes of ideas and ended up kind of at dead ends at all of them. And I woke up one day at like six in the morning kind of half awake, half asleep. And this phrase, how to break up with your friends was just kind of floating around my head. And I was like, what, what is this? Tried to go back to sleep, couldn't really. And for the next couple of days, it just kept percolating this idea. And I remember very clearly, I was waiting to have a coffee with one of my, who I I would have considered at the time was one of outwardly, one of my best friends in the world who was chronically late. And I was feeling very irritated and agitated and frustrated that she was late again. 
And this phrase just kind of came into my head and I said, okay, let, what is this? Well, I guess I've got time now. Let me start looking at this. And I started to realize as I looked at this friendship that actually, even though outwardly, as I said, we would, we would have defined our relationship as extremely close. I realized that there was this huge chasm that had grown between us. And I had no idea how that had happened. So I started to kind of look down the landscape of that friendship and trying to deduce like what happened. And once I'd done that with that friend, I was like, well, let me look at a couple of other people in my life and see, you know, what the real situation is. And the big epiphany that I had was that this, I couldn't believe this is the first time I was doing this, like really in an intentional way, auditing these relationships in my life. We are a culture that is obsessed with information about ourselves, you know, knowing things, you know, we know every calorie, every gram of fat. We wear, you know, stupid watches that tell us every step we, we're taking. Marie Kondo has us holding up chairs and, and sweaters and asking if they bring joy. And yet the friends in our lives, you know, people, very important, we have very little self-reflection on. We kind of get into these relationships and then kind of go with it. And of course we end up irritated or angry or whatever, but we don't really do anything about it. And so, you know, we just kind of push it down and then have big overreactions later down the line, right? And neither of these things make any sense or productive as I was saying at the top, so I put this pitch together and I sold this title February 23rd, 2020, which here is, you know, three weeks before we went into national lockdown over COVID. I thought it was an important topic then. I couldn't possibly imagine how important this idea of like friends and choosing your friends and assessing your friends would become as we all kind of got sucked into these micro bubbles and couldn't really connect, you know, with anybody. And so, yeah, that's kind of the genesis. And, and one of the things that really stuck out to me when I was like, well, why don't we do this? And, you know, and I'm a therapist. And so, you know, thinking of in like, you know, clinical terms, I was like, you know, in the world of traditional therapy, we have individual therapy, we have couples therapy, we have family therapy, that we don't have anything for friendships, right? And while I certainly wasn't advocating you know, for friend couples to go run out and find themselves a therapist, although I don't think that's a bad idea if you're, you know, in a long-term committed relationship with a friend. But what it really means to me is that there's no kind of collective language for navigating conflict in these relationships out there in the zeitgeist. There's no blueprint about how to get into a new friendship, how to get out of an existing friendship. And as a result, there's a lot of kind of turmoil and unresolved feelings. And I feel like we're leaving so much on the table with these relationships that if we could just really roll up our sleeves and be proactive and more intentional in them and demand more from them and ask to be demanded more from, they could serve as such a, a real source, not just on paper, but a real source of inspiration, a sense of fulfillment, allow you to carve out how you want to be seen and supported in the world. And so anyways, that's a very long answer to your question, but that's kind of how it all came to be. Yeah. And it's so true, isn't it? That intentional idea around friendships, because it's been very recent for me too, that I've actually given it any thought. I think right. you just go through your life picking up friends right. and some of them become really good friends and 
different stages of your life, you pick up different friends. And yeah, I think I got to a point myself where I just thought, actually, you know, I, I don't really, I think it's that, that feeling where you're going to hang out with people and it just doesn't feel that good. And then you go, well, these are my friends. And, and when you're talking about relationships there, there's so much on on TV, you know, all the reality shows about relationships between men and women. Imagine if we could get one going where we actually explored women's friendships. Like that would be pretty cool. I'm working on one. Oh, are you? (laughs) I would love to see that because we don't have, we have so much information about what we should be doing with a a romantic partner. We just don't know what to do with normal girlfriends. Exactly. There are all these kind of collectively acceptable and talked about ways of operating in romantic relationships. And even very at the basic level, just even talking about your romantic relationships when there's a problem with your friend is very common, right? But if you're having a problem with a friend, you don't even really talk about it unless it's in a, you know, a gossipy way, right? So like, really going through how you're feeling, what you, what you're feeling, you know, what you're feeling, if a friendship has ended, taking the time to grieve that just like you would a romantic relationship. Nobody is ever talking about the grieving process. And, and so because of that, it feels preposterous that we would be so upset or hurt or feeling depressed over the, you know, the loss of one of these relationships. But, you know, conversely, why would we feel anything other than that? It's something that's been meaningful and had a role in your life that no longer is there, either by your choice or their choice, that's got to cause some pain and consternation. And so I had a funny example the other day, I was being interviewed and the the, the host was saying, okay, Aaron, I have this friend we're really good. We're, you know, we're, we're really good friends. And the last, so the last 10 times we've made plans, she's like, I'm not exaggerating. The last 10 times we've made plans, concrete plans, date, place, time. She's either canceled the night before or the morning of every time. And she holds up her phone. She shows it to me. And I said to the interviewer's name was Maria. And I said, Maria, she goes, what should I do with this friendship? And I said, Maria, I've got news for you. You're not in a friendship with this person. You're in some kind of weird relationship, but it's not a friendship. I said, what would you do if this was a guy you were dating? And she was like, oh, I mean, after the second cancel, he'd be gone. And I'm like, why is this any different? Right? Like, it's just the the, the benchmark of standards. I mean, you shouldn't just cut friends out of your life like that, but you've got to be able to pick up these signs. This is not acceptable. Right? And you know it in the romantic arena, but all of a sudden with friends, it's like, well, I'm irritated. I'm, what does this mean? I'm hurt, but I'm not going to do anything about it. I'll just keep making plans with this person. Right. And that's, you know, kind of why this book also dovetails in a very nonlinear way with my first book in the sense that think of the energy we're expending, how counterproductive a lot of this, this creating these narratives in our head, by the way, that have nothing to do with reality, because we're not talking, because we don't feel comfortable talking, because it feels again like, oh, these are friends, friendships. These are these are these should kind of be nice to have. They should be the one kind of category of relationship that should give, give, give. And the truth of the matter is that is not a relationship that exists, not a good relationship. Real good relationships take work. They take time. They take energy. They take blood, sweat, and tears. No relationship worth its salt just gives, gives, gives. 
Yeah. That's passive. That's letting the relationship happen to you. We have to be active and go out and happen to the relationship, right? And so that's also kind of just shifting that narrative. And the first place about that is awareness in your own life and then creating processes that allow us to feel comfortable talking about this and normalizing a lot of the behavior that we've already normalized in different other types of relationships. Yeah, absolutely. And when you said that women, we do have this habit of either we're we're friends with somebody and, and if it isn't working, then it is about gossip, isn't it? Right. It's that that's how as women we've really been conditioned to believe that we deal with things. If somebody's doing something wrong, then everybody's sort of talking about that instead of actually like sitting down like you, you know, this is important and actually talking it through with somebody. We don't do that, do we? No, no, exactly. And it's easier for us to kind of deflect and have these other kind of third-party conversations about the person, you know, that we're having a problem with, as opposed to sitting down and talking to that person in a meaningful way. Mm. And so, and then that sets up a whole other dynamic because now you've, you know, the, the, the bubble of gossip is really, really terrible for friendships. Like it's just really destructive. But the reason a lot of us, we're doing it is because we don't have effective channels or an effective outlet to process what's real these real emotions that are going on right so we kind of reflect it into a cheaper version of the truth and we don't direct it at the source of the problem which is not the other person it's the relationship we we direct it out kind of throw it out into the universe and so again not a lot of good going to come from that no, absolutely. But it's it's just interesting how much a part of our conditioning it is that that's just how we deal with it. How do you think our childhood and our parents affect our current adult friendships? Greatly, greatly. And your parents, like so many things, they have the ability to so heavily influence you. So the way they relate to other people, the way they relate if they're married or in a partnership, not only the way they relate to that partner, but also the way they socialize, the way you see them interact with friends, how they are out in the world. Like I grew up with a mom and dad who were very social and they were always hosting dinner parties or going or going to, you know, or going to dinner parties. And they had a very active and kind of robust social life. But I grew up thinking that that's the way you need to do it, right? You need to be inviting people over and hosting dinners and da 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 And I did, I did that all my life. And to the point where I literally founded an internet startup called Leaf TV, which shows you how to do all, it stands for living, eating, and fashion. It, and it shows you all the different ways to entertain and da 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 that kind of thing. And I remember having a dinner party, at my, like a thousandth dinner party at my house, and running to the store to get ingredients and having a total meltdown in the store because I was on a time crunch and I needed to get back and something needed to cook longer than I had and blah, blah, blah. And I had a meltdown in the store. I was like, I don't enjoy one bit of what I'm doing. Having all of these people over, at the end of the night, I would kind of always be happy, exhausted, but happy. Like, oh, that was nice. That was nice, right? Everybody had a good time, right? Like in managing everybody else's, how everybody else's experience was. 
but getting to that was so taxing for me. And I finally had to stop and say, why do I keep doing this? Why do I? And I, it was through that, that I realized, you know, not in that moment, but over a time of processing, I'm actually extremely introverted and it really burns my fuel to be out there in the world in an extroverted capacity, right? I'm not, I, you can invite me to a dinner party and I might accept one out of every five, you know, invitations and I find them nice once in a while, but throwing dinner parties, that's not really for me. You know, occasionally I'll do it for a special thing, but you know, I didn't think there was another way to be or operate with friends in the world, you know? And then there's also the way a parent kind of, you know, when you're first kind of thrown on a school play playground, you don't really have any, any choice or agency. It's like find somebody to play in the sandbox with, like, that's your perimeter, right? You, you don't have really that much choice. You're just kind of like, it's all circumstantial. And so, you know, as you go through school, you're also kind of developing who you are and your personality and all of the things that, you know, that kind of coming of age period of your life. So in that, a lot of times you're testing boundaries, you're, you know, getting in trouble or never getting in trouble, you know, and being the perfect student and the way parents respond to all of that stuff and respond to how you're engaging socially in the world is also very impactful. You know, if they are overly harsh, if you get in trouble, as opposed to saying, oh, you're curious, let's explore what you're curious about. Maybe there's a better way to do it, right? So it's like the way a a parent, you know, gets involved in your own relationships at, at a young age is very influential. And so, and then beyond that, and this might be the most important thing, if you if you're talking about again kind of classic psychology there's an idea of attachment theory so attachment theory is basically you know when you're born into this world you have one or two primary caregivers and how you interact with those primary caregivers or rather how they interact with you highly define how you will later then go out into the world and operate with others and so the, the best, quote unquote, best attachment style is secure attachment, which means all of your needs, your basic needs, physical and emotional needs were met when you were nonverbal. In other words, you, you, you couldn't communicate, right? And so you were fed, you were put to bed, you were bathed on time, happily, more, you know, more often than not. And then your emotional needs, you know, if you were crying, somebody came. If he unhugged you or maybe gave you a kiss, there was a lot of touch, you know, that kind of stuff. If you, if you had parents that were not there, that were, you know, never around either because they suffered from depression or, you know, one of them took off, left the relationship, or one of them is incapacitated for some other reason, or they were there and just couldn't, couldn't do what they needed to do. That's called an insecure attachment. By the way, the caveat, any of these attachment styles can be reversed doing work with a therapist or anything. So it's not like a death sentence, right? But it is worth noting. So if you have an insecure attachment and you don't do the work to kind of work through that and rectify, well, recognize it, work through it and then rectify it, what ends up happening is you often are not um, trustful you can be avoidant with people. You can never fully commit because you're afraid that somebody's going to leave you or not meet the needs you have. And so 
And so you can see how that, that would play out differently if how you're showing up in a relationship. And that's one of the most important things is not just to understand how the other person's behaving and what you need. It's to also really take a critical look at yourself and say, how am I showing up in these relationships? Am I showing up the way I want to? If not, why not? And a, a good place to start is really from as early on as you can remember, right? Because so much of that is foundational. Yeah. And uh, everything you've said there is so true. And I love that you said that you decided that you didn't need to do dinner parties because <laughs> I think, I think I definitely, you know, I, I used to be the same and you, you, there's all this expectation, isn't there about what it is to be the, the great host and the great yeah. friend and all of that. Yeah. But, but when it's just not who you are, it's so important to also realize that, you know, and just, sure. Because you're not showing up authentically. Yes. You are not showing up authentically, even though every single time I was like the hostess with the mostest and I just loved the like, oh my gosh, like, how did you do this? You know, and I, that like just fed some insecurity in me or some ego need, right? But the bottom line is I wasn't even showing up authentically in those situations. So, you know, you're never going to get the maximum you can out of a relationship until you are showing up authentic. You have the courage to show up authentically, right? Yeah. And be seen for who you really are and then take it for whatever that means. Yeah. And I think that's such an important thing. And that's what I was saying earlier was in a lot of friendships, I just felt this tightness Mm -hmm. and I just kind of got used to it, you know, because you just don't realize it's because you can't actually be yourself in many friendships and right. people are not hearing you. And then I, when I did have the realization that this is what was happening, it was like, oh my gosh, I don't actually need to do this. Right. I don't actually need to do this, you know, but you, you think it's part of life because you're right. so used to doing it that way. You're so yeah. used to kind of contorting yourself into this weird version of yourself. And I used to actually say to myself, who do I need to be today to make this work? Right, right. You know, who do I need to turn up as? And it's like a big red flag. Yes. (laughs) But we don't. We We just, that's what we do. We just ignore, there's these loud blaring signals that we're just constantly ignoring. Yes. um, Because we're in, we're, you do just head down mode trying to get through the day. And it's like, that is not a good way to live. Yeah. So how do we recognize that? the relationship between ourselves and another person is a toxic relationship? What, what would yeah. be the red flags? Well, I think the first thing is, is that if you feel differently than who you really are, when you're with that person, when you feel like you're behaving or operating differently than you, you really normally would. In other words, if somebody takes you off chorus of who you feel like you authentically are this is a huge red flag just like we just said with you right if you another thing is if you spend most of your time in negativity when you're with that person so whether you're commiserating and it's it's one thing to be going through something crappy in life and to to connect with that person and seek solace and with another person that's not what I'm talking about so many relationships are built on leaning into the negative, talking shit about so-and-so, really complaining about their jobs, 
or their families or their partners. And that's kind of the driving force in these, in, in certain relationships. That is not where you want to be because that becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. The more you lean into or get comfortable in the negative, it, it's no coincidence that the more the negative kind of you attract and seems to find you. So that's, that's a relationship that also, I think, you know, feels really toxic and not something that is good for your energy or, or that you would want to be a part of. I think, you know, other relationships, and I was guilty of this a lot. You have to be really kind of clear on what your moral code is, whatever that is for you, because I would be, I've been in a couple of relationships that were actually kind of pretty close relationships and pretty long-standing relationships. And both of the people, I'm thinking of two people specifically, were really pretty awful to other people in an other situation. They were never awful to me. They were always very nice and kind. And I kind of knew that quite a lot of bad behavior was going on, but I I also never heard that from, from my, you know, my friends at the time. So I was kind of always making excuses, like, I'm sure there's another side to this. Da, 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 da. I forget what exactly happened. Oh, I was, I was explaining something to another friend of mine about this person indirectly, not talking badly. And as I was telling the story, the person I was telling it to said, that person sounds terrible. How are you friends with her? And I was like, oh no, it's not. I mean, no, she's not terrible with me, da da da. And the person was like, but that does, she's just, she's terrible. Like she's doing terrible things. Like, and I had this epiphany and I was like, yeah, that's, it's like, I, you can't. So I couldn't continue to make my eyes kind of got open to this. And I think that I was kind of minimizing all this stuff I was hearing because I was having a fine time with her. But when I had this epiphany, I was like, oh, I can't unsee what I've just seen right now, you know? Mm -hmm. And so to continue on with this is really making a deal, not with the devil, but you're making a real trade-off that I don't think I, you know, I should be making. So that's another kind of not common situation, but it definitely happens. Um, You've got to make a choice, you know, Mm -hmm. like just because the person's being nice to me doesn't mean they're necessarily a great person, you know? And so- Yeah. Yeah. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. And I find, I think that in the long run, often those people are going to turn on you as well. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it's like, so true. You can it's go so through... 
I've experienced that myself. And you're like, well, yeah. this person's always nice to me. And then of course, in the end, you know, right. they can't maintain that because that's not actually who they, they are. are. Yeah. Um, yeah exactly. But I, you know, from personal experience, toxic friendships have made me like physically unwell, I think. Totally. And, and, you know, we really need to have boundaries in our lives but it's a very hard conversation to have with somebody isn't it that you've been friends with for a long time to then start putting in a new boundary right people people push back big time. yeah yeah, yeah. Push back. have you have you had that experience where you've had to put new boundaries around a friendship yeah yes yeah, so a person that I was talking about right at the beginning of this who was chronically late you know when I was looking at, at that friendship yeah, I and I actually, you know, I talk about it a little bit in the book. Like I kind of chronic chronicle it real time by not only having a conversation that confronted the her and the situation, which was a very difficult conversation to have. And I found myself as I was waiting for her to come for that conversation, which of course she was late again, talking myself out of it. Like, oh, you know, she's this, she's going through something. This isn't, you know, but there is always something to make an excuse, right? And at a certain point, you've got to choose, you, you got to say to yourself, am I going to choose her? Or am I going to choose me? Well, you got to choose you. You know what I mean? So yes. And, you know, that was a hard conversation. And the boundaries started with, you know, about punctuality and, you know, and then it got on, went into some other stuff too. But the good thing about that, if you can have a conversation about it and the first conversation might not be a good conversation about it, right? Because it, people can get defensive or reactive. In this particular case, it ended up being a fine conversation at the end, but you might have to have two or three more conversations until emotions calm down and you can get clear. And, and that's going to be a real test about the strength of the relationship of, of whether it can handle that, right? Mm -hmm. But the, the, the interesting thing, and I think the really productive thing about it is that I opened up the conversation, which started about, you know, this chronic lateness. And then she ended up bringing up stuff, a couple of things that I had, you know, let her down on. And so she herself even put some boundaries up that, that you know, and, and so that was, you know, you, and that was, a that was a testament actually to the strength of the relationship. We were able to get on the other side of that. Yeah. And so it worked, but the, the idea here, and I think the really important idea is that you also just brought up is that it is way harder to put in boundaries in an existing relationship than when you're starting a new relationship. And don't forget that. So when you do start a new friendship, you've got to lead from that place, right? So that you don't get in a position where you're having to retro, you know, retrofit boundaries into an existing framework of a friendship because it is really tough and you are going to get pushed back. People don't like, they don't like change, right? And, you know, kind of on the surface, if that not having that boundaries really worked for that person in the relationship, it's really hard to then shift and get behind it. Again, it'll come down to the strength of the relationship of whether it can hold it, but you've got to be willing to let that go. If, if you've clearly identified some boundaries that you need to have respected and the other person can't do it. That's yeah. just the way it needs to be. That's the mindset. That's the choosing me so that I can choose the relationship right? I can't choose the relationship before I've chosen myself. The other thing is you have to be really clear. I always say you need to be able to answer four questions like thoroughly. Okay. Which is who am I? Where am I? 
how did I get here and where do I want to go? And until you can answer those four questions, you can't put in place boundaries because they're reflecting a not flushed out version of yourself, right? And you can't expect people to know what your boundaries are. I mean, obviously there are some obvious boundaries, you know, don't call me at three in the morning, don't scream at me in public, don't or scream at me, period. You know, there's some clear, you know, general rules, but like you can't expect people to know what your boundaries are if you don't know what they are first. Yeah. So the work starts with you, right? And I see so often with my clients, my individual clients, when they and they bring their friendships into the room all the time, like they're talking about friendships all the time, but it's always this idea of like she's toxic or he's toxic. And I said, why would time and again, why would you give your power away like that? Right own your role in this the relationships toxic often when there's a toxic relationship and you've defined the other person as toxic that person actually has other relationships that work just great so what in you allowed this to continue and it's not victim shaming there's probably bad behavior that's happening but you have allowed it habitually so you have to be able to say and what need what did I need to fulfill in myself to allow this to keep going on I need to do my own self work to make sure that that doesn't happen again right so so much of this is a self discovery that then you put in place relationally but you can't jump to the relational part and think that that's going to work out if you haven't done the individual work on yourself and I'm, I'm, and, and get curious and have a deeper dive with what makes you tick how you want to be seen how you want to be supported and then go out with that right yeah, I love that. I love that. That's such great advice. Just asking yourself those questions and knowing, you know, what you need first, because yeah. I don't think most people are ever thinking about that. And I think when, when you do get to a point where you think that a relationship is going to end with a friend, I mean, there's a lot, there's a lot of grief in that, but I think there's also a lot of shame. Like totally. it's, it's That's kind of like, you yeah. feel like it's must be your fault and right. you've done something wrong. I guess it's that idea that we need to normalize that it's okay for friendships to end because, you know, nothing has to last for, forever, does it? Oh, exactly. And that's, that's the thing. It's like, you, you got it. Hopefully if you're even remotely interested in self growth or evolving as a person, you're going to change. Your core values will probably stay the same, but you hopefully will be changing at many, you know, evolving at many phases of your life. You can be in a very close relationship with somebody and cut to 10 years and you're in very different places, but that doesn't mean you're in a better place or a worse place. It doesn't mean the relationship has failed. What it means is you're in a different place and that's okay. That's where, that's how it should be. Otherwise, if you're in the exact same place, what you've got bigger problems, you know what I mean? Like, why are you still in the same place? And so it's much easier. And again, it's not necessarily about if two people have, you know, kind of grown apart. It's not like you have to have some big dramatic call in that circumstance. Not if it's just a natural kind of ebb and flow where you do have to maybe call something out is if one of you is, in another place and kind of has moved on from the relationship and the other one keeps trying to activate it, right? Make plans, reach out, da, da, da. Cause then that's not balanced. The expectation is not 
the same. So then there's something to deal with, but we, we, we often don't because we're like, well, what does that mean? If I just say to this person, like our time has come and gone, you know, like that sounds so awful. She hasn't done anything. She hasn't done anything bad. Why am I going to, you know, rock the boat here? And why you're going to rock the boat here is because that relationship served you very well for a while, right? It saw you in, in, in important phases of your life. And those are all great memories, right? If you call it when it should be called, that's the defining mem memory of that relationship. That's the defining feeling, positive, warmth, love of that relationship. But we don't do that. And we end up dragging these relationships on with us. And then they become a source of irritation, guilt, shame. Somebody's, you know, reaching out, you keep saying, no, I can't do this Friday. No, I can't, you know. And so then that becomes the, def the defining emotion or memory of that relationship. You see the difference there? One is negative and an energy suck. The other is positive and life affirming. So you want to be clear if there is a different set of expectations. If you've naturally just gone on your different directions, great. And you will, you will feel warm and fuzzy about that, and, and about that relationship. But you got to be careful when you're going in one direction and somebody's still trying to get on the same page with you or you're in the opposite where you're keep trying to connect with somebody and they're just not doing it or begrudgingly doing it or then you've got to look at this and say I think this might be time to call it you know so not yes. easy but very necessary no. so when you get to that point where you say I've got to call it like if somebody is actively wanting to continue a friendship and you know that it's time to say goodbye and what are you actually going to do in that situation well so in that type of in this specific type of thing I would reach out to the person and say either on the phone or in an email whatever your the way you correspond is I always say you know lead with the most courageous which is like voice or in person but often we live in different cities or you know you don't have an in-person option I would lead with all of the reasons that this relationship has been important and meaningful. And it is out of that sense of respect and love for the relationship that you think you have to be honest with where you are right now. And you just don't have capacity or bandwidth to keep including this in your orbit. And it's not personal. And you never know, it could come back around again, because that also life has a really funny way of bringing people back, you know, separating them, bring them back. But you felt you owed it to her and also the history of the relationship to not keep letting you down, not committing to plans. And that doesn't feel good for me. And I, I can't imagine it feels good for you. And it's disparaging to this great moments that we've had. And I hope you understand. And, and if anything ever came up that was huge and you absolutely needed to, you know, needed to connect with me specifically, I'm, I'm open. But I just want to be clear on where I am from a bandwidth perspective. And I don't want to feel like I'm letting you down or leading you on or disappointing you or whatever, you know, you, you fill in the blanks. And so that's the, what I would do. And then in the book, I have like five or six different conversation starters based on different scenarios. And so there are one scenarios that are a lot more active in the sense that like something has happened, trust has been broken. And how do you do that? Right. And so again, it's this, I, I, well, the first step I say, 
is I ask you to really sit down and kind of visualize your life without this person in it. Because that's really crucial to the grieving process, right? Even if you're the one that's breaking up with them, if this person, other persons had any sort of meaningful space and place in your life, there's gonna be a, an adjustment, right? And doing that gives you, I think that final clarity, is this the right move, right? Because you wanna see if you can do something to, to not break up with them. It's only, you know, that's kind of the last resort, right? And then, you know, if it's, a, if it's a case where you're sitting there visualizing and you're just like very upset and can't see how, you know, then, well, that's a big, hey, pay attention to that. Maybe this isn't the right move breaking up. Maybe there's a different way that you can, you know, heal whatever has gone wrong there. But assuming that that doesn't happen, then you need to decide, you know, kind of what the right medium is. And so, again, you want to lead with courage. So voice or in person, I think is, it's the hardest, but it's also... I think long-term one would look back and say that's the most respectful, but the idea is that you, whatever you, you want the message to land, right? And so if you're dealing with somebody that is really reactive or defensive or super emotional, then maybe in person or on the phone is not the right thing because that's going to feel confrontational. They're going to feel back up against the wall. And so in that case, you're going to want to kind of craft a really thoughtful email leading with, even if you've been hurt, even if something, you know, I mean, not something awful, awful, but even if something kind of bad went down between the two of you, I think, you know, you do want to lead with maybe a couple of the lessons you learned by being together and that kind of thing. And then be clear on why you're getting out of this, right? And it doesn't have to be poetic. It doesn't, it doesn't have to be mean, it just has to be neutral, right? This is what's happening and this is why it's happening. And the hope with that is that with sending an email is that then the person can read it, get very upset and might fire off an email back to you, but they'll have time to, in the days, you know, days coming to calm down and then come something to revisit so that they can then, you know, have the material land, hopefully in a, in, in a perfect world. But every situation is so unique that, the hard part is just getting things started. And then, but you have to be willing to stick to it too, because a lot of what happens, and that's also why I think you have you like visualize like your life without that person is, because if you haven't done that, what happens a lot is people try to get you back, right? Not even because they want you back, not even because it's the right relationship, but it's an ego thing where it's like, you can't leave, you know? And that's just like a human reaction. And if you haven't kind of processed what life will be like without them or visualized it, it's really easy to get sucked right back in. And then all of the work that you've done, all of the courage you've kind of summoned to do this gets thrown out the window. And then you feel even worse in the relationship because you now you know you're not, you're not acting authentically. So once you decide to do this, to be pretty strong about it, like the decision is made, right? Yeah. It's not like, let me float this mm. and then see how they respond. It's like the decision is made. Yeah. And I'm not going back on this. Right. Yeah. And I think when you get to that point, you know that that's what you've got to do, because I guess everybody that's in our life are playing a role, like not every friend is the same. And so some, some friends, you know, you might only see them once every six months or something, if, if right. that's something that you can make work or, right, you know, totally. every friend is, it doesn't have to be the friend that you're seeing all the time or ringing and all they the shouldn't time. Be. 
Yeah, they yeah. should be different. You should, what we, we like in society, we look at, especially with romantic partners, like as they have to be our everything, you know, you know, we're today, at least in the United States, like we're co-raising kids, we're working from home, we're doing yoga workouts together. We're, and nobody can be your everything. Only you can be your everything, right? And so it, the same thing applies to friends. We kind of have this, like, this is what a friend should be. And here are the, you know, the 10 things. And if somebody doesn't meet all those 10 requirements, they're not a friend. But the truth is a friend can meet one very specific need in you. And as long as you're hip to that and you are aware of that and you don't have expectations of more than that, that friend can be so valuable, even if it's just for that one thing, right? And then you have the friend that you can call at three in the morning uh, sobbing over something. And then you have the friend that brings out kind of, you know, an energetic social side of you, which is very important for me as an introvert. Then you have the friend that is, constantly giving you good advice and is kind of in a mentor role, right? And then you've also got to show, how do I show up for all these people? What's my role for these people, right? But they can't all be clones of each other because number one, as I said, nobody can be everything. And number two, the more dynamic your friend group and the offering, the more dynamic you become, the more you open up the aperture to your own potential, right? So and that goes even further than not just what they're offering, but like we want to be kind of active about, you know, moving forward. We don't want to create an echo chamber, right, where everybody looks like us and talks like us and has, you know, has the same political beliefs as us and, you know, same sexual identity or race or whatever. We want to, the more you can broaden your curiosity about humanity and engage with it, you know, in a, and again, I'm not talking about going out and having like a token black friend. I'm talking about energetically becoming curious about different ways people were raised, the different ways that people live, the different way. The more you do that and incorporate that into your world, have curiosity about that, the more you, the more dynamic you become as a person. And the more you get to explore yourself in a way that you couldn't otherwise, you know, on your own. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. And it's hard, I think, as we get older to make new friends. Do you have any tips on, on that, making new friends as an adult? Yeah, well, this is part of the thing. We see this, we, we've seen this, this idea now totally come out of COVID too, because there's so much isolation and loneliness and people have kind of forgotten how to socialize. And, and so it can be a very lonely, it can be very lonely. And making new friends well, whether you're lonely or not, whether you've got one friend or five friends is really important. It's a really important skill set. And so, again, I liken this to romantic relationships, right? Like, if you decide, let's say you were in a romantic relationship and you had a bad breakup and you haven't been seeing anybody, the day you decide, like, I'm ready you put it out into the world. You talk to your friends, you say, okay, you know anybody? I think I'm ready to get back out there. The second you walk into a bar or a, or a restaurant or a meeting, you know, a work thing, your energy is a re- looking around. Who, is there anybody here? Is there anybody I find curious? Is there anybody that is finding me, you know, interesting? Your radar and your energy is on 
right? Trying to pull things towards you, not, not just energetically, you're literally saying, hey, do you know anybody you can set me up with? And then you're literally putting yourself on like dating apps, like just putting yourself out, like I'm trying to date somebody, send it out to the world, right? We don't do that with friends. And so at the same mechanism has to apply here, right? I had a, a, a friend who was a new mom and she was starting a company. And she, despite having a lot of friends, she said, you know, it's so strange. I feel so lonely. I've got good friends. And I said, do you have any friends that are in a similar situation to you? And she thought, she said, no. And I said, ask your friends if they know anybody, put it out there. Hey, you know, I'm really looking for somebody that's going through something. Do, do you know anybody that has just started a business who is just, and you put it out there in the way that like, I'm looking for a guy that's, or a woman that's five foot five or five foot 10. I, nice if he or she has a job, you know, and it's like, you've got this criteria. Why wouldn't you do the same for friends? Right? So you, you want to literally put it out there. And then there's just small ways that you can change your lifestyle a little bit, you know? So I always say like, if you've got a dog, instead of your, taking your dog for a walk around the block or, you know, you know, your usual route, where's the nearest dog park? Go there. You know, you have at least one thing in common with these people. They like dogs right? They're dog owners. And when you get there, again, it's not necessarily about, you know, handing out business cards, of course, but it's about bringing in energy and looking around. And is there anybody that I feel curious about here? Is there anybody that's kind of feels dynamic? Okay. No, try again tomorrow. Yes. Throw your ball over there. Walk up and say, Hey, that's a cute dog. You know, what breed is it? You know, these are, it's very, so these are very sociable environments that are ripe for conversation starters. Right. And so that's how you start it. you got to put yourself out there. Like to jog, don't jog around the block, find a runner's club. Again, you know, there's at least one thing you have in common with these people. It's a great place to start. Right. And so just thinking differently as a, as opposed to like, I, you know, oh, I've, I hope I find myself one day in a social situation where I might meet somebody that I might like. If we were doing that with dating, everybody would be single. Mm, Earth would not have regenerated. You know what I mean? (laughs) So the same idea needs to apply. We just need to shift our thinking to understand that and accept that and not be embarrassed or uncomfortable about that. If you want something, go get it. Yes. And, And that's it. Yeah, I love that. I love that. It's just we got to change our way of thinking yeah. about friendships, right? This loneliness epidemic. This is really this is a mental health problem. Like yes. people are feeling desperate. And I think it's because they feel like they don't have any way to go about getting new friends. But of course they do. Yeah. You go out and get them. You know what I mean? But there's we have such a again, we view these as passive relationships. And we treat them as such. And so again, you want to be active. You want to show up. And that's that's where you're going to get the biggest bang for your buck. Yeah, I love that. What will people discover in your book? Well, you know, there's only one chapter actually on how to break up with friends. It's a good one. It's a thorough one. But there's nine chapters on, you know, just the benefits, the physical, mental, emotional benefits of this. I don't, I actually, I don't even know, you might not have heard this, but last week in the United States, the, I think it's the, the Surgeon General, whatever the governing body on health here, just announced that now in 
regular doctor's visits, they, you know, where they ask you how many drinks you have, you know, checkups, they ask you how many drinks, how, do you do drugs, do you smoke cigarettes? They're now doing anxiety checks and, and how many times do you socialize a week? And how, what, it, you know, and so that's how important this is. That's how critical it is to, they're not just good to have, fun to have, right? They're really a, a kind of institutional, meaningful part of physical and mental health, right? So I talk a lot about that and then how to do friendship a lot better. You know, we all think we're doing great and newsflash, we could be doing a lot better. So uh, yeah. that's it too. And then one of my favorite parts of the book is I've got 10 vignettes, kind of standalone vignettes, friendship stories, good and bad women I interviewed that the people are really kind of seeing themselves in. So that's I, one of my favorite parts of the book. Yeah, I love that. And so the book is called How to Break Up with Your Friends by Erin Falconer. Please do go out and get the book. It's an incredibly valuable thing to do to look into your friendships. And Erin, this has been fantastic. It's a great topic. I love everything you've said today. And thank you so much for sharing all of your wisdom and knowledge on this topic. It's been really amazing. Thank you. Well, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Thank you for being on this journey of healing and community with me. If you listen on Apple, I would love it if you could take a moment to post a review for the podcast. It would mean a lot. Check the show notes for all links recommended in this episode. If you're on Instagram, follow me at my big love project and please share this episode with someone you know needs to hear it. Thank you for joining me. You are such an incredible soul because you are you. You are unique. Your journey is unique and you can absolutely change the world with your story. Your time is precious and I so appreciate you being here. Thanks for joining me. I'll catch you next week. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.